0: Hi, welcome back to Smoking Issues. Today we're talking about how local church leadership should operate. Specifically, we're discussing this question in the context of the personal ministry of the pastor or pastors. Enjoy.
1: podcast where nerdy guys smoke cigars and talk about smoking issues in the church. Thank you for being here. If you have any questions or want to comment on what we discuss, discussed, you can contact us via Facebook Messenger, email smokingissues at gmail.com, or you can go to our website at smokingissues.com. For our guests or newcomers today, I'm Ian. And I'm Josh. Ian, how are you doing today, man? I'm, I'm well. Um, did you and Rachel have a
0: good time on Valentine's Day? absolutely we did took her out on a date had some great times you know doing what married people do
1: uh i think you should have actually uh you know had a uh miserable experience getting ashes put on your forehead because (laughs) valentine's day this year was ash wednesday oh wow so i hope after your indulgent meal you then began your 40-day fast
0: no, from... after, after my indulgent meal, I enjoyed the benefits of being married. Um... <laughs> Which had nothing to do with ashes, Ian. Okay. FYI. <laughs> I can't see Ian right now, but I'm sure he's got a red face, ladies and gentlemen.
1: <laughs> well, I hope you have a, a holy Lent. <laughs> I absolutely will, Ian. Very holy. Um, as, we, as Josh mentioned earlier, we are talking about how church leadership should operate, specifically in the private ministry of the pastor. Uh, or perhaps <clears> if you <throat> could say, what is pastoral ministry when it's not leading worship?
0: Oh, okay. I like that. That should be the title of the podcast.
1: Great. Let's just like wreck on this. You know, even though to the listener, we've already decided the title of the podcast. And now, during, during the recording of the podcast, we come up with the title. <laughs> it's That's a bit great. meta. Right, shows there. real professionalism. Right there. <laughs> no,
0: I I just like it though. I like it. So, Ian, um, tell me, uh, we've got to, so so one of the one of the questions is is you know how should a local church pastor What should they focus on? How should they spend their time, their energy, their effort? What are the things that they're supposed to do? And with Anglicanism, you guys have a very specific set of things that a pastor is responsible for. Is that correct?
1: No, that's not not entirely correct. Like, you know, the... The, the 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 priest um you know this is this is this actually comes from the kind of puritan influence of the church of england uh, the presbyterian congregationalist voice uh which was there for a while before they all got thrown out um <laughs> which which had the um the parish priest handed over much more autonomy than they had previously mm. uh this is yeah this is really to respond to the puritan voices what they were arguing for so, um, you know, there's no, like, uh, there's no dictatorial, you, you know, do this, do that from the bishop. Um, but there is certainly uh, you know, certain standard expectations that a priest is expected to perform, um, such as uh, visiting, and, visiting and celebrating communion with the sick or housebound, um, uh, visiting those who are bereaved, helping them through their funerals, uh, counseling and marrying couples, Um, yeah, uh, anointing the sick. uh, These are considered to be uh, normal parts of of pastoral ministry, which reasonably anybody could expect any priest to perform.
0: Gotcha. That's good. Mm -hmm. Is there some sort of rules or structures on what that looks like? Um, Is there any sort of documentation that you guys have? I
1: mean, the various prayer books of Anglicanism have various orders to these things. Um, but let's let let's just uh, pull up a specific example, um,
0: and and while you're doing that, it's very interesting to think through because, um, it, with uh, with the reformed movement and with um, uh, what we've been calling over the past couple episodes, independent kind of autonomous churches, that's kind of the word that we're using for uh-huh. the typical non denominational evangelical church that's out there, which is the vein uh, that I've been swimming in for quite a while. Uh-huh. Uh, th- there is a very, there's a wide variety of things that the pastor does. Um, I've been to some churches and seen some churches where literally the role of the, pa- like there's a pastor, there's one church that, um, this guy was in, in leadership for about 20 years, at a church in the south, and all he wanted to do, this is what he said, wants to preach on Sunday morning, and he wants to do every wedding, every funeral, and go do visitation, and that was the only thing that he wanted to do for 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 about two to three thousand people in his church. Mm-hmm. So no other pastor was allowed to do a wedding at this guy's church. They were not permitted to not one if you were in that building. Or with a member of that church, he was the person that would do every wedding and every funeral, and he would. There were no other pastor was allowed to go visit um, any other sick person in the hospital. It was only that pastor. But the running of the church, the leadership of the staff, um, emphasis on discipleship, teaching. Um, this church had Sunday school, traditional Sunday school classes. Um, had zero input on. Had zero input on the building of the building, their main key building mm-hmm. that everything else was structured around. Mm-hmm. But this guy, all he wanted to do was preach. He wanted to visit people and do weddings and funerals, and no one else was allowed to do that. Hmm. And so it's very interesting to think through in autonomous churches where you have a, a strong leader, they can pretty much determine their job description, Yeah, which is, which is both... Um, awesome and terrifying.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and so, um, you know, if you're if you're part of the um, Anglican or, or Catholic or maybe a slightly more traditional denominational world, um, you, you 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 actually don't get to write your own job description. Yeah, uh, uh, that's given to you. Uh, obviously, um, baptising people, celebrating Holy Communion. That's that's these these your kind of public public acts of ministry. Which everyone should be gathered for, uh, but also uh, instructing disciples so that they may receive confirmation Mm -hmm. and make professions of faith of their own. Um, You uh, are you. You may uh, give private ministry of reconciliation between a person and God, Mm -hmm. and hear their confession of sins. Um, You anoint the sick. Um, uh, You marry people. And uh, um, the, se- the Seventh Sacrament recognized by the church is also uh, ordination. But uh, uh, you know, your average parish priest is not going to be too concerned with helping anybody else get ordained. They have seminaries for that, after all. Uh, so, so you
0: said something about the seven, what was that?
1: Seven Sacraments.
0: Seven Sacraments. So what are, could you just, do you have a list of mm-hmm. those that you could read off?
1: Uh, baptism, the Eucharist, Confirmation, Reconciliation, Anointing of the Sick, or otherwise called Extreme Unction. Uh, marriage, and ordination.
0: Extreme unction. That sounds like a cheese. Extreme unction.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and typically, <laughs> typically the, the, these will be um, divided into uh, the sacraments of Christ and the sacraments of the Church. So we're you know, identifying baptism in the Eucharist is the, prim- the primary. These are sacraments mm-hmm. ordained by Christ. Yeah. And then the other five are sacraments discovered, shall we say, discovered by the Church to say that these are uh, useful and universal ways of thinking about how God uh, uh, communicates grace to us. So, I, I happen to think there's a good theology there that says, like, you know, from from our reason and from the Scriptures, these are things we've defined and discovered as clear communications of God's grace to us. Hmm. I mean, and they're not they're not warranted or required by Scripture, and, and I'm, you know, we're, we're okay to admit that as well. Yeah. Um, and basically, like, as far as as far as, uh, as far as I understand it like the priest's job is to do these things hmm. that's that's why they receive a stipend that 's why they receive a, um, a a living and that's why they live often lives that are very accessible um and, and, and near to a community <coughs> um, that means I can come to uh the pastor to the priest and they can be my uh, their primary responsibility is to guide me. And help disciple me and help to help me to be reconciled to god uh, and they can do that on very individual and communal scales uh that is that's why they exist yeah um and that's very it's very hands-on you know um but but also these these various rites and and forms of ministry are defined uh, by the liturgy um so it's like it, it it's not so much of a burden for either it's not like it's not like the priest has to um, has to kind of uh, figure all of this stuff out f- from the ground up. This work has already been done in advance, and the priest just like, takes that ministry on uh, w- with a community of people. Well, that's,
0: uh, I think that's probably, again, that's one of the other differentiating marks between uh, the veins that we, we kind of flow in. Um, but that is a benefit to some of the things that you're talking about is that everything is kind of pre not pre package sounds negative. Yeah. I don't think that what you're describing is negative, but it does have some sort of, you take something that's already been done and then you're able to do it. So, uh, you know, you have your services that are, that are written, you yeah. have the 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 book of common prayer you have these certain things that that you can do that don't require a lot of work energy or effort Mm -hmm. because somebody else has done that hundreds of years ago yeah so i think that's a benefit i actually do think that's a benefit to anglicanism is that you guys aren't reinventing the wheel yeah i think it's helpful it
1: liberates you to spend more time caring for the actual individual yeah you know you, you you have this sort of formal order of worship between between two people uh which kind of carries carries the grace as it were Helps communicate, like from the scripture, what's happening here, um, which allows then the, the the minister to sort of be a bit more present with the with the individual because they're not they're not busy fiddling over the the language and the you know yeah the right of it you know, yeah, how it's, how it's sure. performed they don't they don't need to fiddle with that that's already been settled so they can be a bit more present yeah person right in front of them that's what I found anyway
0: yeah and I think that there's a lot of benefits to that um, I would also say that. Some of the detractions to that and some of the benefits to, you know, um, autonomous evangelical churches is that they are able to, um, there are some benefits to reinventing the wheel. They're able to come up with new ideas, they're able to pioneer new things. Um, You can have highly creative people that can sit down and say, how do I... How do I think of a new way to communicate? How do I think of a new way to reach our neighbors? How do I think of a new uh, ministry that we can start or engage with that can that can help people who are far away from Jesus come close to Him? So uh, I'd say that there are some benefits to being autonomous with the sense of kind of going back to what we've been talking about over the past few weeks, this idea of, of being autonomous missionally says that we can take the theology, we can change the form And reach different people with the gospel, depending on our form of ministry, with the same gospel truth, which we had about the kernel of the gospel. We Mm -hmm. talked about that a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, and I would say that for for the local pastor of an evangelical church, um, I actually think that that their job description could drastically change over time. Um, I, I think that when you're a young church, you're a small church the role of the pastor is, is pretty similar across the board. You need to meet with people, you need to connect with people, read the scriptures consistently, um, lead worship consistently, counsel. You're pretty much a generalist, and then we've talked about being the pastor being a generalist. Uh-huh. Um, you're a generalist pastor in a smaller church context. And then um, what you find with evangelical churches that are growing beyond a couple hundred people, you start to get specialists. And so you get a person that comes in that's focused on, uh, you got a community pastor or community groups pastor or a small groups pastor, whatever you want to call them. You've got an executive pastor that focuses on running the operations of the church and potentially leading the staff. You've got a, uh, a youth pastor. So you have like different pastors are, have yeah. different specialists. Yeah,
1: and, and I, would, I would question why these people are called pastors. Why would you, with you those question specialists? that? specialists, because as I've already said, like <clears throat> the the role of the priest is, is for me is pretty clearly defined around um, somebody ministering God's reconciliation to me and to people. But when you um, have so a church
0: that grows, you uh, one pastor is not enough to do that. You you wouldn't have sure. one pastor can't do that with a church of two thousand people.
1: Yeah, that, yeah, and, and, and this this is this is why the church is free free and welcome to employ people for all kinds of roles. Just don't call them pastors. They're not a pastor.
0: Okay, that they're, doesn't make any sense to me. Why wouldn't, you hire, why, why wouldn't you hire other extremely qualified priests to lead your community groups, to lead your youth groups? Wouldn't you want more qualified people in your church that are trained and ordained and that have the same capacities as the priest does? Why wouldn't you want to do that?
1: Uh, well, uh, for a start, you, you, don't, you actually don't want to distract priests from their ministry. Uh, they need to be liberated from uh, administration, organizational administration, in order to perform these forms of ministry. So if the church needs, uh, needs, needs a director, um, I would say that person shouldn't be considered a pastor or a priest. Well, they uh, shouldn't be considered
0: know, a pastor or a priest if they're not qualified. But what, what if you had a... Let's, just, let's use the example... Josh,
1: uh, they, they, they might be really well qualified to be a director... Of a church organization?
0: No, if they're qualified to be, if they meet the qualifications of a pastor,
1: why why would they need to do that? All they're doing is they don't need to. All they're doing is administering the staff of a church.
0: No, they don't need to. Mm -hmm. But what if they do meet the qualifications of a pastor? Why wouldn't you call them a pastor if they meet those qualifications? Because they might not be called to
1: priestly ministry. No, I'm not.
0: No, 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 no. Think about it in the context. What if you have a priest? who is qualified to be a priest, who's ordained to be a priest, Uh but has an an administrative bent to them Uh that means that they can lead people, they can lead organizations Mm -hmm. very well. So if they get into a role that's administrative, why would you not call them what they are? If they're ordained to be a priest, call them a priest.
1: Well, in my denomination, you can't stop being a priest, so...
0: Yeah, so... But but I get to the... So I was trying to translate it into there, but let's say that you have a guy who is qualified to be a pastor. He's been trained. He's been qualified. He meets the qualifications of an elder in first, second Timothy and Titus, but he's got an administrative bent to him. Let's call him an executive pastor and give him that vein to, to run in. No, give him I, that I, track. to I run I actually
1: on. disagree. Cause I think what you're doing there is, I mean, for a start, you could very well be standing in the way of someone's true calling by, by asking of them, um, uh, so, something, something which is distinct from what they're really called to do. Um, uh, but also, what you are doing is you are communicating to your people the wrong message about what a pastor is.
0: Okay, tell me what, what um, communicating.
1: because if you are saying that the, the do you do you want the pastor to be somebody who is known to be intimate with you, known by you, who knows about your life, uh, who is willing to uh, protect protect you and your family from the assaults of the world, flesh, and the devil. Um, you know, if if you want the role of the church to be seen in the public ministry of the church and the pastor to be seen as that, then you shouldn't be calling somebody with an executive administrative role, a pastor. You can, I mean, I mean, they can, they can be a gifted, qualified and godly leader of all of all sorts. They, but that role ought not be confused with, with pastoral ministry, so, uh, because it is not concerned with, um, the loving of souls.
0: I would disagree with that completely. And I'll tell you why, because, I think an executive—I'm let, going to use executive pastor as an example, okay? We can plug and play community groups, pastor, we'll plug and play whatever other title you want. Um, but but I think that you care for souls by building structures and systems that allow people to thrive in the gospel. So when you care for the church's finances, when you determine and make decisions about how your money's being used, um, how your benevolence ministry is set up. When you make decisions about how the staff is structured to best equip the saints for the work of the ministry, which I would say is one of, the, one of the core definitions of what a pastor is. We didn't quite get to it earlier, but I would say that that's probably one of the core definitions of a pastor is equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Um, you can do that with executive structures and systems mm-hmm. as an executive pastor. So I think that's just as much a care for souls as being someone's personal pastor sitting across from them and counseling them and discipling them. Uh, And then I would also go to say that I don't necessarily see the pastor as always sitting down with every person, being their personal pastor, always being available to them always answering the phone when they call, being available at all hours of the day and night. I don't necessarily see that in the role of a pastor, especially as the church gets larger. Just when you think about the role of a pastor as a shepherd, you know, a shepherd doesn't sit down with every sheep individually. The shepherd most of the time leads the sheep. He goes ahead of them. He calls them. Yeah. He, he handles the weak sheep. He tends to them. He tends to the broken legs and those types of things. But he doesn't necessarily spend personal time with every single sheep, and doesn't need to to properly lead the flock.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's where I'm going to have to I'm going to have to thoroughly disagree uh, with the model of ministry that 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 you're that you're advancing. Um, you know, I think I think that the, the, the care the care of souls as defined uh, by the seven sacraments of the church is a non-negotiable part of of priestly ministry. Now, as it happens, um, uh, the the church. Uh, I mean, God. God, by His Spirit, is capable of raising up all kinds of leaders for the church, ordained and non-ordained, of course. And so, uh, if for the furtherment of um, God's purposes in the world, um, the, 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 the administrative organisation of a, of a church, Christian community, or mission organisation uh, expands to to include all kinds of other operations, um, God will God will call leaders who can do that. He sure. Will. Uh, and he'll and he'll and he'll and he'll provide for them to be in the place they're in, um, but but I I would not really consider this, you know, proper, appropriate pastoral ministry, um, you, you know, not not in not in, not in a classical sense. Um, it's still um, it's, sorry, it's not priestly ministry. It might, it might have a it might, it might be pastoral in the sense that it cares for people, but I wouldn't call this priestly ministry. Um, which, which is the thing I think I'm trying to get at is. Is um the the, the the ordained clergy of a church are are not the only ones entrusted with the with the with the care of the body of Christ. Uh they are they are, instru- they are instructed they are ordained to care for God's people in some extremely specific ways, particularly mediating, you know, uh, between God and God and man and, and being present being present uh to help communicate between God and humanity. Um but uh, I would say equally, there's there's all kinds of people who are called to do all kinds of things in the church, um, which which don't um, which don't encroach on priestly ministry, and that's okay too.
0: Hmm. I'm looking uh, I'm looking up a, a passage of scripture. So um, I would say that this is probably a topic for another conversation. Um, but this is what the scripture says in 1 Timothy 2.5. It says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus.
1: You really got hung up on that? Yes. You really got hung up on that? I did. Okay.
0: <laughs> so, but, but here's the deeper idea behind it, is that I don't think that the pastor is the mediator. I don't think that he can be. I think the pastor, I think that's, that's elevating the role of a pastor or a priest to a level that it's, that it's not, never intended to be. That's why I think that like going through, I, I actually really like the seven, you saw it, the seven sacraments mm-hmm. of, of a pastor, is that what it is?
1: Well, of the church.
0: Of the church, okay, that the pastor's called to administer over, mm-hmm. make sure that it happens. I think those are really helpful. But in the same sense, I think that we have to acknowledge that, you know, the, I think the greater role of a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And he does those things by, um, delivering, a, a keeping people focused on Christ uh, through, uh, administering the sacraments of, of baptism and the Lord's supper. And I think those other things are helpful. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, the role of the pastor is not a mediator. And so if, if we take that role off of a pastor, then their role can be very flexible to their gift sets, to their abilities, um, to their leadership styles, and to their their natural God-given gifts. I don't think that someone would be prevented from being an ordained pastor if they really see their ministry to the flock as working on spreadsheets and setting up good systems for the flock to thrive. I think that that is incredibly pastoral and that's incredibly caring for the flock. Even if it's not always eyeball to eyeball with someone counseling them or prepping them for marriage or preaching a sermon on Sunday morning, I think that you can be just as much of a pastor um, who loves his sheep sitting there in front of a spreadsheet, making sure that their money is being put to good use to help them be equipped for the ministry
1: mm-hmm mm-hmm okay well it's it, it helped it's helped us already to really come across this uh this fundamental difference um because i i happen to believe that the entire life of not only pastoral ministry but all christians is about mediation uh mediating mediating god to where god isn't um so what me- do you
0: mean by mediation maybe that's because. That's a that's a really heavily theologically weighted word uh-huh, uh-huh. that is assigned to only Christ in the scriptures.
1: Yeah, I'm not I'm not using it. As, you know, I'm not using it in the sense New Testament uses it. Um, it's 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 about speaking speaking with God's voice to humanity, speaking to God with humanity's voice, and this is the unique role the church is in um, uh, as 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 a, as, a, as a global community of priests. This is what we do, right? um, we, we proclaim God to the world and we proclaim the world to God. We, 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 we function as that because of course, you know, we are human, we are still human beings and yet we are filled with the spirit of God. So we're capable of doing this. Right. And I think, um, uh, priests share a portion of that ministry. Um, particularly, um, they are, as it were, the priests to the priests, Sure. Yeah, uh, priesthood
0: of all believers. Yeah,
1: yeah, and they. St- and, but the, the 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 ordained clergy's role is to care for um, the, the 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 people of God in their ministry. So so as it as it were, I would say the people of God can't help. They can't help mediating um, God to the world and the world to God. This is this is like this is what Christians can't help doing this because we are human. And We are filled with the spirit of God, right? So everywhere yes. we go, we we are creating that. We are creating that moment of meeting. Um, and we <clears throat> we we harm ourselves, we harm others, we harm that ministry, and the church calls clergy to help us close that loop, and and be and be reconciled so that we can continue in, on in our on in our vocation. Um, that's, that's kind of that's kind of that's kind of what I mean by so, that.
0: So I would actually agree with most of what you just said. I don't agree with the term mediation. I think mediation brings with it a lot of theological terminology that what you just described yeah. makes a lot of sense. We help people see Jesus by how we live our lives. Uh-huh. As we are and in, in dwelt by the Spirit and mm-hmm. we go into the world, mm-hmm. we become the meeting place between... God and man, mm-hmm. you know, and we help people point people to Jesus, mm-hmm. who is the ultimate mediator. And then the role of pastors is to priest the priests. So mm-hmm. I would agree with all of that. I, I'd say that I agree with it, but the term mediation I think is where I get hung up on. And I think probably many evangelicals, um, and many in the reformed strain would get very hung up on that fact because mm-hmm. what I first hear you say is we are mediators. And my mind, of course, goes to 1 Timothy 2. It talks about like there's only one mediator between God and man. Yeah. Um, but I, I see where you're coming from now. That's helpful. Mm-hmm. I just say maybe the terminology is challenging because mm-hmm. it's I mean, theologically I, 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 weighted.
1: I, 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 I want to say the intercession. The intercession only really goes in one direction. Yeah. So I went with mediation because it's it's about being... Being the two-way communication between God and his creation. Which I, think I, what... would, I
0: would use the word ambassador,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which yeah. is a biblical word. We're ambassadors for Christ. Uh-huh. And so he has made us ambassadors. Mm-hmm. So I, would, I think that might be a better terminology to describe what you're talking about. We're ambassadors. We carry the name of Christ into where he's not named. And we speak on his behalf. Yeah, And we can actually communicate on behalf of other people to God. Mm-hmm. That's what an ambassador does. Mm-hmm. He goes into foreign lands and communicates on behalf of his home country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So,
1: And, and, I, and I, think, I think that role is, is, is weighty and significant. It's the vocation to which all Christians are called. Sure. And it's, and it's, and it's beautiful uh, in its way. It's, it's what we're destined for. Um, but the the fact the fact of the matter is, like, it's about saying, um, you know, the the the, pr- the very prescribed and specific nature of priestly ministry or of, of, of the ordained clergy um, exists in order to serve the people of God as they fulfill this vocation. Um, so yeah, so, I would agree with that so, too. So building big organizations and and building structures and methods is uh, insignificant next to the power of the force. <laughs>
0: You put on the hood of your cloak, didn't you? When I did. you said that.
1: Um, how'd you know how you know I own a cloak? <laughs> um
0: I could hear it in your voice. Ian. <laughs> no, but I, but I would, but I would, I would say I completely agree yeah. with with what you said up until the last sentence.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, this, this maybe we were going to disagree. Like, I don't, I don't, I, I think human beings can't help but be ambassadors and mediators between God and man. This is, this is what we do. We don't, we don't, we don't, we actually don't have to try hard to do this.
0: Well, no, no, no. We don't
1: need to create things and create methods. We don't need to do this because, because this is what we are.
0: Sure. Already. I, I would agree with that, and I would say that the role of a pastor or a shepherd is can be much more broad than the narrow definition that you've defined it as and i would say that we can love and support the sheep mm-hmm. as ambassadors for christ in the world when we set up good organizational structure when you when you when you pay the light bill so that they can come in okay. and receive communion and have baptism when you without distraction. When you set up good structures and systems for volunteers mm-hmm. so that they serve the church without getting burned out. And I think that some of the best people to do that are pastors. People who are biblically qualified to be pastors, but they set up systems and structures. People that are biblically qualified to be pastors, but their, their skill set and bent and gifting is towards youth because they spent time studying youth ministry and development the development of 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 young people and how their minds change mm-hmm. i mean what better what better pastor to have than someone who is a specialist that's been trained in that area mm-hmm. to help the flock and so like a sheepdog you around a, a herd that's bringing them in and moving them in the direction, you need more than one, you know? You need certain sheepdogs, especially as your flock gets oh, okay, bigger, okay, yeah. to bring the flock but, in and to specialize, but, but, to move but, them in the right but direction.
1: Here's what I like about keeping the pastor in a very specific job. You, you, you demand from the people of God more. You demand that the people of God, the laity, let's use that very Catholic term, that the laity will step up into their role as disciple makers. That's what I prefer about that. Uh, so
0: they're not mutually exclusive, though. Haven't? I would I would disagree that they're mutually exclusive.
1: Well, uh, I I want I want to be cautious against the over-professionalization of the ministry,
0: and I would agree with it. That.
1: So that's my uh, you know the, 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 that's where this concern is coming from that that we shouldn't have to find a priest or pastor to do everything, when when the spirit can enable lay people to do it too. Well, I that's would agree.
0: And that's where the idea of equipping comes in, mm-hmm. where if you, if you assign the role of a pastor and as, as an equipper, then it doesn't matter what specialist that they're in, they're always going to be equipping the body, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Mm-hmm. And so your youth pastor is a specialist, but his job, and the reason why you hire a specialist, is to raise up volunteers and train them, mm-hmm. and and keep them on the on track with the vision yeah, and the mission yeah. of of that local church. And,
1: and just and just to be clear, I don't consider that priestly ministry. This okay. important ministry, but for, from my theological my theological perspective, that can be done by a layperson, absolutely.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right, we're gonna pop into a smoke break here for a minute. We are smoking a Romeo and Julieta Reserva Reale Robusto. So it this is, is
1: it is quite
0: <clears throat> <laughs> it's it's got that little guttural kind of power to it, doesn't it? I
1: really it? enjoy Robustos. Yeah. Uh but I always feel like I always smoke them too quickly and and they and they just <laughs> make you feel rough. <laughs>
0: It's only been 32 minutes, Ian. I know.
1: I know. This is like killing
0: me. That's Well, this is a, a five inches long by 52 ring size. So it's pretty standard. It's uh this is a good pocket I, for in my mind, this is a good, like the Robusto is just a perfect size. Churchill's are just too much to take on. No. Um, and, uh, sometimes our figurello our smaller perfecto. The ones that look like a. Um, a bowling pin, uh, those do last quite a while, but the Robusta is just a nice, good middle of the road cigar, mm-hmm. but this Romeo and reserva Reale, it's uh man, it's, it's a little bit more full mm-hmm. than what we, um, are used to. It's still got, it's got an Ecuadorian Connecticut mm-hmm. wrapper. So it's on, it's on a little bit of the darker side, although it's not as dark as a uh, Maduro. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, it's, it's got a Nigerian, Nope, Nicaraguan f- um, filler. Mm-hmm. And, I filler. I became
1: uh, familiar with Nicaragua actually through the edge cigars.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, Edges got, are good cigars. Yeah, yeah. So that, that, that Nicar- I, and so because of that I've I've always s I've always like been excited for Nicaraguan filler. Yeah. Um, uh, something about I don't know, I guess a slightly uh spicy uh, taste um that was like just really engaging for me that's awesome
0: that's good well this one i kind of got a little hint of sweetness on the back end mm-hmm. um it it actually tastes pretty pretty good in my mind um i did not get a lot of pepper mm-hmm. with this Uh, but I got, I got, especially on the, I guess it was more on the front end than the back end Mm -hmm. that, uh, that I got some sweetness, but I still Mm kind of taste a little bit. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's very good. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, of course with the cigar, just, just, uh, five inches in length, uh, you know, after about halfway, it starts to really heat up.
0: Yes, yeah, so you had to that that's where when when your cigar starts to heat up, you're probably smoking it a little too fast, like yeah, you had yeah, mentioned, yeah. so it, it you gotta start you gotta slow down with it. It's kind of like a pipes pipes have taught me how to smoke slower, yeah because you if you smoke you really, a pipe
1: you already suffered the pipe, you smoke it too quickly, yeah, if you it's smoke it
0: too quick. Your pipe will get hot. You can actually damage the the bowl if you smoke it too hot over time. Um, I used to smoke and still do um, pipes a little faster. And so I have to intentionally monitor how much I do. But, you know, I think you kind of, as you continue to smoke, you get into a, uh, you know, you, you... the goal is to get to a rhythm to where it becomes kind of second nature. You don't really have to think about it, but with pipes I still do because I typically keep the pipe in my mouth the whole time. Um, So I'm able to talk with it. And so for me, it's gotta be, you know, they recommend every 15 to 30 seconds taking a puff out Mm -hmm. of a pipe. So, but um, because you don't get the bitterness with a cigar as you smoke it faster, at least the bitterness isn't as pronounced as in a pipe. It's easier to smoke cigars faster. But yeah, I think this is a good podcast. I think it's a good place to end it, uh, end it with a smoke break. Um, this is... See, and this is what's fascinating, Ian, is you know, we come from very different theological backgrounds with this. Mm-hmm. And it's very helpful, especially with the mediation understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was really helpful. Just because when I hear mediation, I think of something totally different. My mind goes mm-hmm. to something different, but mm-hmm. it's helpful to have you explain it. And I think that's sometimes where we miss, you know, especially with with um, with reformed guys. They're, they, they they kind of assume, and especially if you go to a seminary, there's a lot of straw man arguments that are set up about you know Anglicanism, about mainland Protestantism, and it's helpful to hear your more nuanced perspectives on these things. Um, it helps me appreciate the, cause in the nuance, that's where it's like, Oh, you don't mean what I thought you meant when you said mediation. Yeah. So, so well, thank I'm you free. for explaining that.
1: Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, just, just uh, to, to conclude, I think, um, I think having, having, a having pastors and priests whose role is entirely predictable and expected is, I think pays dividends for disciples in the in this world today i think uh, it should be it really ought to be reconsidered um, because um you know if we're serious about equipping saints to do dangerous and risky things for jesus christ you want to know there's somebody there who, you, who who's available to you to minister to you to help you repair your relationship with god and others if you get it wrong and and, and having the certainty of priestly ministry Um, which can be you know is practiced not only by by your priest but by other priests um, uh, within your denomination that can be consistently expected from them Uh, i think that's really that's really valuable and it's been very valuable to me um, as as somebody who's a lay disciple maker a lay a lay disciple of jesus christ Um, uh, having having that knowledge that that there's this that if things to, to, to catalyze me on that journey and when things go wrong there's a place and a person I can come to and I, can, and I know what I can expect from them it's extremely comforting, it gives me strength it gives me, it gives me courage
0: that's good, mm-hmm. that's really helpful mm-hmm. well um, thank you all for listening if you like what we're doing uh, please send us a comment, email text, smoke signal scream to the sky We'll try to listen. Mm. Keep our megaphones up. Um, and as always, we'd like to thank our executive producer, Nosmo King.
1: Thank you again, Nosmo. You're wonderful.
0: Are you and Nosmo on good terms still? You said he a couple of weeks ago. You said he gave you a gift card to kind of make up for it. How how are you guys doing? this Yeah,
1: week? like, like he had this like uh, this sort of like embarrassing, like r- rubbish intern moment. I'm like, bro, you're a professional at this. <laughs>
0: You and him just go back and forth, don't you? I know. You're you're like it's like it's like this roller coaster relationship between you and Nasmo. But um, we'll pray. We'll continue to pray for his soul. Um, Well, uh, thank you. Does he have
1: one anyway? um,
0: You know he might, Um, uh, but but he does he does have astronomical efforts in making this podcast possible. Thank you to Nasmo and uh, we'll see you next time, guys.
1: Peace out. Bye. Something inside